salvation, righteousness, sanctification. We sit in church every week and we hear all these words, but do we really know what they mean? I sit there and I nod my head and I agree with everything that I'm hearing, but do I really understand these words? So this is something that everybody struggles with. Most of the time, we hear these words and they just fly over our head and we go, well, I kind of get it. I kind of understand it. But here's the issue. See, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that kind of, sort of, maybe gets the message. I want to know what's going on. And that calls for one thing. See, somebody's got to explain all of these big words. Good morning. Y'all doing good? Man, I tell you what, I am just so thankful. Thank you so much for hanging out with us at One Church. We're starting a brand new series today. And we kind of do our teaching and sermons uh, here at One Church TV, kind of like a movie, if you would. Uh, You can go see a movie, and there's a beginning of the movie, there's a middle of the movie, and there's the end of the movie. And that's kind of how we do our series. We do them in like two, three, four, five-part series. And we're starting a series this week entitled Big Words, and we're only going to be in the book of Romans. It's going to be fun. All right? So um, uh, I would just encourage you, like I said, if you have your version or anything like that, go ahead and go there. Uh, I'll tell you, what the book of Romans is in the New Testament. So if you turn, like, close to the end of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, it's after that. It's like the first of all of the letters. If you grew up in church, uh, some people call those the epistles because they're really thorny. Joking. That was a joke. All right, cool. All right, let's go ahead and and jump into this because here's the thing, and this is really the premise of where we're going to be looking at in this series, that it is impossible. It is impossible to tackle and to solve a problem if you don't know what the problem is to begin with. Um, My last vehicle was an Isuzu Amigo. And I love that vehicle. It's one of those vehicles where you take the top off, you know, the back. And I loved it, all right, because my hair just went in the wind, all right? But I'm telling you, the last year I I owned that vehicle, and by the way, it was my last year of payments on it. I mean, it was was wonderful. Um, That that vehicle was down more than it was up. And I remember, I mean, I would go out to the garage or something, and I would hear this clicking noise, this knocking noise, and I would open up the hood. I would lift it up because I'm a man. All right, I lifted up and I looked inside there. Yep, and I closed the hood because I am clueless when it comes to fixing stuff. I am clueless, clueless when it comes to fixing stuff. And so, let me talk to you, some of you army guys. Some of you army guys, you can fix stuff with like duct tape and gum. You're like modern day MacGyver. All right, yeah, that's what you think. I got this friend of mine, all right? His name is Randy. And Randy, uh, he was a warrant officer in the Army, and he worked on Humvees. And he was telling me, oh, I'll get this thing running. I'll get this thing running. I'm like, cool. So he says, I, just to let you know, I've worked on Humvees in Iraq while people are shooting at me. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be shooting at you. Uh, but if you get it going, I'm going to give you a big hug, right? Well, he worked on it for about a month. And it didn't get running. And maybe I should have started shooting at him. I don't know. Um, but he thought he had this and he didn't. And I think that's a, that's a thing that many guys that we think we can fix this. But I think one of our biggest problems is we can't fix the problem because we don't know what's wrong to begin with. 
You know, um, I love this because some of you have been trying to solve you for a very long time. Many of you spent a lot of money trying to solve you. Um, for others of you, your spouse sent you off to someone uh, for some counseling, and, and they said, if you don't get fixed, then I am leaving. But you know what? It's hard to solve a problem if you don't know what your problem is to begin with. Now, here's the thing I know about you guys. All of you are very smart. Even if I don't know you, you're smart. I know this. You have a theory of what's wrong with you. It's not like you haven't tried, but you can't find out what's wrong with you. So solving you is difficult. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's hard to solve a problem when you don't know what your problem is to begin with. Now, again, all of us have theories. And if you have a mother-in-law, your mother-in-law will probably tell you what your problem is. Right? But today, we're going to be looking at the Bible, and we're going to be looking at a guy by the name of Paul who had a theory and had this idea about what's wrong with you and what's wrong with me. But here's the thing I know about you. All of us, we've got problems. And some of you, the reason why you didn't go to church is you, you thought this. You thought those church people don't think they, their stuff doesn't stink. You know what I'm saying? That they don't have any problems, and they think they're all perfect. And I'm here to tell you, we're not. In fact, our book, the Bible, that we read, that we take authority out of, it tells us we're really messed up. Now, here's the thing. Again, I know about you, even though I've not met many of you. Some of you have lost jobs because you've not been able to solve you. Some of you have lost marriages because you've not been able to solve you. Others, you've lost a lot of money. You lost a lot of sleep. You lost a lot of time because you have been trying to fix you, but you've been trying to fix you with a lot of different things. You've lost reputations. You've lost friendships. You've lost self-esteem. Maybe some of you, you've even lost relationships with your children because there's something wrong with you and everybody knows it. In fact, you even know it. I mean, I mean, when you get alone, you're like, what is wrong with me? Why did I say that? Why did I respond to that? Why did I say that on Facebook? Why did I tweet that? What is wrong with me? Maybe the reason why you can't solve it is because you don't know what's wrong. The problem may be that you don't know what the problem may be. Because you're smart and sophisticated, you got some ideas, you got theories. In fact, you may have even went to a professional counselor. Now, some of you, you're like, it ain't been me. I'm telling you, all of us, we probably need to go see a professional counselor. I'm just going to throw that out there. I, there's, there's, I do regular checkups with a counselor, and there's some type of stigma of going to actually talking to someone about your feelings. I don't know what that is. But let me tell you, your professional counselor may have said this, that they know what your problem is, but you and I both know this. Just knowing what the problem is isn't, isn't the same as of having a solution, is it? You can know what your problem is, but you may not be able to know how to solve it. What we're going to do in this series, Big Words, is we're going to offer you an explanation, Paul is, to what's wrong with you based upon what Paul thinks is what's wrong with you. And we're really going to be looking at our problem today because we're all really messed up. And then the next week and the week after next, we're going to look at the solution to our problems. But the fact is, it's worse than you thought. Because for some of you, you've just kind of, you just wrote it off as, well, you know, I got some bad habits. 
Or, you know what, I got some, I got some, I got some kind of addictive personality. Or it's because your mom or your dad did something to you or at you or didn't do something to you or at you. And we all can come up with these excuses. But at the end of the day, you're really jacked up. Thanks for coming to One Church, right? We're, I'm here to give yourself an ego boost, right? I mean, and hear me, I am really jacked up. And not only that, that's what the Bible, we're going to see Paul's diagnosis of you and me. And it's going to be really, really fun. Now, before I dig into, the Roman, into this book, Romans, you need to know that this is the most complicated book in the entire Bible, period. It's so complicated, and I have been so worried about this series that I've almost canceled this series about eight or nine times. We actually planned this series back last November. And then ever since last November, I've been thinking, what in the world were we thinking, right? Because Romans is not one of those books that you can just kind of get in and get out of quickly. In fact, some people say that Romans is the most important book out of all of the 66 books that create and make up our Bible. And I would encourage you, you know, for some of you, this is, you're going to love this. Others of you, you're going to be scratching your head and you're going to look at the person that invited you today and you're going to say this. I thought you said this was going to be good, right? I'm warning you up front. It's going to be confusing. But for some of you church people, you're going to love it because you don't say the word confusing, do you? You say, boy, that was really deep. That was deep teaching. It was deep. And what deep, all deep is, is a buzzword for, I have no idea what he said. So, The reason why it's so confusing and the reason why it's so deep, everybody say that, deep. One more time. All right, that was good. The reason why this is so confusing and so deep is, I need some very white voice up here just saying, um, is because I don't think Paul wrote this. I think Paul dictated this. Paul is in a prison and he's writing to a group of people in Rome. That's the reason why it's called... Romans. He's writing to Christians in Rome. And, and at this point, Paul's probably, uh, I mean, he's really old and he's kind of blind, we think. And uh, he, he, really can't, he really can't write real well, so he is dictating it. And the scribe is sitting there, and, and, and they didn't have back spaces or forward spaces. They didn't have whiteout. They didn't have any of that. So Paul, he will go and he will talk, and then he does what a lot of preachers do. He'll take off on a, on a rabbit trail. And it's like, man, it's so confusing. But even though it's so confusing, even though it's so deep, I believe that the things that we're going to be learning about in the book of Romans is some of the most important things that we could be learning about today as a church. Because denominations have went weird because they didn't understand the book of Romans. In fact, the entire Reformation happened because of the book of Romans. I mean, it's some really cool stuff we're going to be looking at. And again, if you're a Christian or even if you're not a Christian, if you don't say, if you, you may believe in the Bible and you may say, I don't believe in the Bible whatsoever, the verses we're getting ready to read, you're going to say, amen. I totally feel that way. And so for some of you, you're going to go home and you're going to say, honey, I, the, I finally found some verses in the Bible that describe what I'm feeling. This is, listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7 and how he describes his life. And some of you, this is, you're going to go, that's me. Here it is, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. This is what it says. 
I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But when I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. There's a lot of repetition in there. What is it? Do. And let me tell you, this law, this law is good. This could be any law. It could be the Bible is law. It could be whatever religion you're from. It could be that law. This could be just your internal law. You may not be religious, but there's something within you that guides what you shouldn't do and what you should do, right? And here's what I know about you, even though I don't know you, all right? is because this, you don't even do consistently what you think you should do, Right? I mean, forget about the Bible, church, God, again, your mother-in-law. You have a sense internally of what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And here's what I know about you because I know it about me. We're not consistent. We think, okay, I need to do this, but we don't do this, do we? How many of y'all have ever been on a diet? Right? I mean, we know what needs to be done. We just don't do it. Right? We know what needs to be done, D-O-N-E, but we don't D-O it, all right? Now, Romans chapter 7, verse 18, all right? For what I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I mean, how many of y'all? Anybody feel that way? Me too. Thank you, all right? For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on what? doing. That's it. Man, that is exactly, it's what I keep on doing. You may disregard the Bible. You may disregard church and God, but you can agree with this because all of us have been there. All of us have bought the t-shirt. It's this feeling. What Paul is feeling is this sense of utter hopelessness that we know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. I mean, imagine, just imagine if, if we could fix this, imagine if we could fix the dues. I mean, how easy church would be. You would come in, we would sing some songs, I would get up and I would say, stop doing that. And y'all would go home. And that would be it. It would be the shortest sermon in history. And some of y'all, you'd be going, yes, Lord, right? I'm there. It would be stop, start, do, do not, and that's it. But we need more than that because we all know what we should be doing. We just don't do it. And the things that we know we shouldn't be doing, we do those. What is my problem? What is your problem? What is our problem? Why is it that we can train dogs to not do stuff, but we can't train us? How many of y'all got dogs? All right. You can housebreak a dog, right? Some of you aren't housebroken, and I'm not talking that way, all right? Now, here's what I do know. You can't train a cat to do nothing because they're Satan, just saying. But dogs, they're man's best friend, right? Thank you. Come on now, fist bump, all right? I mean, dogs, you can house train. Some of your dogs have very little uh, uh, self-destructive tendencies, do they? If they have got self-destructive tendencies, they go away. Right? Or you train them, right? But here's the thing. If they if we can train a dog to stop doing stuff, how come I can't train me? 
How come you can't fix you? It could be that we don't know what the problem is. Look at what it says in verse 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is what? Sin living in me. Now, some of you are going to stop. Oh, say, so you're going to call me a sinner, right? And some of you, that's exactly what you're going to expect, and that is exactly where I'm going. Because Paul says that our biggest problem is that it's something called sin. And that's, what, that's the big word that we're looking at today. Even though it's a three-letter word, some of the things that bugs me in a lot of churches is we throw out words all the time, but we don't define them. There, we, we, say, we talk about sin and redemption and justification and propitiation and sanctification and glorifications and all of these nations. But we never do talk about what it really is, and that's what we're looking at in this series. So let's talk about what sin is. This is what Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says about sin. For what does it say? Everyone or all. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There it is. God's glorious standard. Sin is anything that comes short of God's standard, God's perfection. God told Moses this, you need to be holy for I am holy. There's another verse in Romans that even might shed some more light on on this word sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says this. In fact, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 for the rest of the day. So go ahead and turn there if you got it. Romans chapter 5 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still, what is that next word? Powerless. That's what Paul was feeling. I don't want to do this, but I do it. I do want to do this, but I don't do it. That's powerlessness. That's hopelessness. When, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, let me define that word ungodly because that can be a little offensive to some of us. Paul says, even though he's not met you, that you're ungodly. And let me explain what he means. Most of you would say, I'm not ungodly. You would say it like this. You know what? I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Now, okay, that's cool. So let me explain this. God is perfect, and you are imperfect. Let's change the preposition not to M, but to un. God is perfect, and you are unperfect. You are unperfect. God is perfect. You are unperfect. So you are unlike God. So you are ungodly. Ta-da! Right? There it is right there. God is perfect. We are not perfect. We are unperfect. And because we're unlike God, we are ungodly. We are not like God. Now, Paul says we're ungodly because we are not perfect. Now, real quick, I want you to turn to somebody preferably you don't know and that you didn't ride with and say, you are ungodly. Do that. All right. Some of you, you're, you're, you, you, you told your spouse and you shouldn't have because that's just going to continue a fight. But let me say this. Your spouse is ungodly. All right? And don't amen that. That's not the time to amen that. Because there will be marriage counseling later. Okay? Here's the thing. What God's Word says, the Bible, the book that we read, says that we're all on a level playing field. 
For some of you, this is your first time back in church. You may have got a bumped out of church a long time ago. And the reason why you didn't show up at church is because, you know what, I know I'm ungodly. But those people think that they're godly. Well, let me tell you, our book says that all of us are ungodly. That's the reason I'm saying if you got a purse, you need to keep that thing close. Because our people... Now listen to this. So Jesus, who was God, died for the ungodly. Let me say it another way. Jesus, who was perfect, died for the imperfect. That's kind of strange, isn't it? In fact, that's what Paul goes on to say. Look at Romans chapter 5 or 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. I mean, it would be hard for you to give up your life for somebody that you know to be a really good person. All right, but we would probably say, okay, I would die for, and you put it in the book, I would die for my mom. I would die for Mother Teresa. I would die for somebody who's really godly. But look at this, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But look at this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still, what is the word? Sinners. Christ died for us while we were still, 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 still sinners. That's Paul's explanation of my problem and your problem. Christ died for us. Let me tell you why this is so crazy important. Because when Paul was writing this, there were people still running around that were alive during the time of Jesus. All right, think through this. Can you imagine this? Jesus is literally being nailed to the cross on that Friday. He is being nailed to the cross. He's being killed on the outskirts of Jerusalem while me and my buddies are 50 miles away doing spring break at the Sea of Galilee. And we are sinning our brains out, right? I mean, there is, uh, there's music pumping and we're like, woo, Right? I mean, we are going crazy. We're driving those chariots at like 15 miles an hour. It's nuts, right? I mean, we are sinning our brains out. And at that very same moment, 50 miles south of us, Jesus is literally dying on the cross on a Friday, getting nailed up at 9 o'clock, and at 3 o'clock he dies. While that is happening, there are people going crazy. And having a really good time in their sin. I mean, think about that. Who would die for the sins of another person in the moment that person is at their worst? Just totally disregarding the significance of that sacrifice. I mean, this is real time for Paul. Because Paul, when Jesus was on the outskirts of being killed, he was living it up. He was sinning. Now, for us 2,000 years later, that means Jesus died for all of your past sins, right? Jesus, the sins that you're going to do this afternoon, he died for your future sins. In fact, he's, he even died for the sins you're committing right now. Keep your eyes towards me, right? Don't do it, just saying. He died for all of your sins, your past, your present, your future, that while we were at our worst... Jesus was at his best, and he died for you and me. Who would do that? What makes us ungodly? What makes us sinners? Is it because of something that I've done? Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. 
Let, just keep that up if you would, because this is, this is a game changer right here. Here's what Paul is saying. We need to think of sin as a noun, not a verb. You see, most of us, when we think of the word sin, we think of like what you did last Friday, what you did on the way to church. We think of sin as a verb. We think of sin as a thing. Once upon a time, sin, this power, in fact, the best way you can do this is think about a disease. Think about a disease. How many of y'all saw the movie Contagion? That was a freaky movie, wasn't it? How many of y'all saw the movie Outbreak? That's a little bit older one. Nobody? None of y'all like, like disease movies, do you? Anyway, but I mean, think of the worst outbreak that could happen. I mean, that's what we're looking at here. It's a disease. At one time, there was no sin in the world, but sin entered the world. Now, how did sin enter the world? Well, sin entered the world through one man, and he's going to explain a few verses later. That man, his name is Adam. And when Adam sinned, sin entered the world and spread like a disease. You see, sin isn't just an activity. Sin isn't just a verb. Sin isn't what, what, what you necessarily do. Sin is a noun that results in verbs. There is a sin that leads to sinning. And one of the reasons you've not been able to fix or change you is because you've been addressing the verbs, you've not been addressing the noun. Paul is saying the virus of sin, the power, the the contagion, if you would, entered the world through one man and death through sin. That is, on the heels of sin was death. Now, everybody, again, even if you don't believe the Bible, you know this to be true because there have been some bad habits, some addictions that led to some death in your life. It may have been a death of a relationship. It may have been a death of, um, of, a, of a parent child. I mean, somebody may have physically died because you did something. But every time sin enters into it, it follows on the heels of death. There may have been a death of a relationship, the death of finances, the death of a career, the death of a marriage. Some of you, you may be in your second or third marriages because you chose something poorly when you were away or when you were deployed or when you were back home. I mean, there was a death of a reputation because you chose to do something and you've been trying to fix the do's in your life like Paul did in Romans 7. I do, I do, I do, I do. But you got to fix something before you get to the do's. You got to fix the B's, the B-E. Because our problem isn't our actions. Our problem is something deeper. It's the sin as a noun, not a verb. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to who? All men because all sinned. There it is. You see, a long time ago, there was a guy by the name of Adam. And Adam made a poor choice. And he sinned. And because the poor choice that Adam made, he really messed things up. Let's say this is Adam. This is humanity. And this is the choice that Adam made. At one time, he's clear. He's pure. Everything's right. But then, because of choices that he made, because he made a poor choice, everything goes dark. And the problem is, is because we're related to Adam, 
I can keep on adding stuff and keep on, uh, we can keep on having babies. And you know what? Something, we're still related to Adam. And when we're related to Adam, what once was pure is now is impure. When Adam sinned and contaminated Adam, when sin contaminated Adam, it contaminated the entire human race. Which means your problem isn't your sinning. The problem is that you were born a sinner. And the reason why you were born a sinner isn't because of anything that you did. It's because of you were born a sinner because of who you were related to. You and I are related to Adam. Again, think of the worst disease movie that you can think of. Think of sin not as a verb but a noun. Think of sin as a thing. And that's huge because sin isn't an activity. Sin isn't just a verb. Sin isn't what you necessarily do. Sin is a noun that results in verbs. Now, again, that's huge because, in fact, think of it this way. Some of you, many of us know, we, we know a little baby that's been born into the world who is suffering because their parents made bad choices. They may be suffering because of a disease that the child has because it was passed on to them from a mom or a dad who made poor choices. Some of us, we've seen children who are strung out on drugs because their mom and dad made bad choices. And that, that, it's not fair. That baby didn't do anything wrong. It's not fair, but it's true. And you sit there and you hold those babies and they cry and they're going through withdrawals. And some of those babies even die, not because of anything that that baby ever did, but because of who that baby was related to. It's not fair. It's not fair. But just because it's not fair doesn't mean it's not true. Do you realize that no one has to teach your kids to sin? If you've got kids, you know what I'm saying, right? You don't. I mean, the reason why no one had to teach your child to make bad choices is because sin just comes naturally. We're all born in Adam. We're all in sin. Sin entered the world through his one activity, his one small choice. So sin infected the entire human race and it all went dark. I mean, some of you, you had that baby and that baby looked so pretty. And you just held that baby in your arms. Holy shit. I mean, you got a baby, right? He's just cute. You want to go, right? Wait till that baby turns two. In fact, what do we call that time? We all know that, right? And some of you are like, what happened to my little girl? What happened to my, what got into Jimmy? Paul would say, I know what got into Jimmy. It's what's always been there. It's sin. Nobody has to teach your children to say the word mine and to be selfish. They don't because it just comes naturally. Here's our big idea today. Our big idea today is this. One unrighteous act of one man ensured you were born a slave to sin. One unrighteous act, one bad choice, one sin of one man, his name is Adam, ensured both you and I and everybody. Everybody say everybody. Everybody is enslaved to sin. We are messed up. Now, how do we fix this problem? That's a I mean, that's the biggest thing. I don't think I have to convince you that you've got problems. If you're married, your spouse is help, tell, helping you with that one, right? Let me tell you how we have a tendency to fix our problems. 
Many times, we try harder. We think, you know what, if I can just try harder, you know what, everything's going to be okay. Things, if I could just pull myself up by my bootstraps, and if I do, and I do, and I do, and I'm going to clear everything up. But I don't. I just add to the problems. In fact, Paul said it this way. Remember in Romans chapter 7? For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Let me tell you, trying doesn't fix anything. You can try and try and try and try all you want to. But it's not going to get you any farther down the road to fixing the problem that is you and me. Here's another thing we have a tendency to do. And this is self-help. You know what? I need to buy more self-help books. I need more counseling. I need, I need to, I just need to read more self-help books and this will tell me how I can help my self. Let me tell you, the problem with that, it doesn't really fix the problem because yourself is really jacked up and you trying to help yourself, that's just another thing of trying harder. It doesn't help anything. And let me tell you a little bit about self-help books. I, I, I am 42 years old now. And I remember seeing self-help books when I was in middle school and high school. And those self-help books, they actually, you know, they had different covers. And now, uh, back in 2000, 2010, I mean, they're republishing those self-help books. They're putting new pictures on them, right? So they're not as old school. It's the same content. It don't work. It doesn't. I mean, you don't need any more self-help books telling you how you need to help yourself because you can't help yourself. Let me tell you another thing, and this is, this, this is what a lot of us do. It's religion. You know, what, what I need to do is I need to go to church more. If I go to church more, and if I go and, 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 and I get crazy, I will even go to church maybe like twice a month, right? I mean, I will get serious about this, but religion, I, that that will fix the problem. The problem is... It doesn't fix the problem. It just keeps on adding to it. Let me tell you how you spell religion. It's D-O. It's do. In fact, if you look in the Bible, I'm, in fact, this is so cool. Some of you need to read your Bibles. You would really like it. I really do think so. You could read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The biggest people that Jesus had problem with were religious people. Because religion doesn't solve anything. What religion does is it makes other people feel bad about their stuff while covering up our own bad stuff, and we think we're better than everybody else. And we say we're better than everybody else because of the way we dress, the way we act, who we vote for, who we don't vote for. I mean, all you just name it. And religion doesn't fix the problem. Let me tell you, all of those you're going to expect, I'm going to say, but this next one, this really is what our society really believes will fix our problem. And it's this right here. Law. I mean, you think about it. Even today. I mean, all of us are appalled at school shootings. 
all of us, we say, okay, there's got to be a problem for this. And society's answer to all of these big problems is do what? Let's pass more. Exactly right. Now, I'm going to say this. Laws aren't a bad thing. You know, we can pass all the laws we can want to. But let me tell you, laws really, that really doesn't fix anything. I mean, you think about it. Let me just ask you a question. Some of you, none of us probably remember this time, but we've all watched the 1950s black and white television shows. Raise your hand if you've seen them, right? Cool, cool. Um, Leave it to Beaver. My three sons. And you, you always have the, um, the lady on Leave the Beaver, the mom, Cleaver, would come in with her pearl necklace, you know, like, you know, oh, June, thank you very much. I, go. I, mean, I mean, you look back and you're like, everybody just, you didn't lock your doors. I mean, you look back on that time and it's like, wow, why can't we be like that? Now, let me ask a quick question. Do you think 2013, we have more, more laws passed today than we did back in 1950? What's the answer? Yes, of course we do. And here's the reason. Technology's come. We figured out more ways that we can jack people up, can't we? I mean, that, that, that's what technology does. We've got more laws today than we did back in the 1950s, yet are we better or worse off? Worse off, exactly right. So let me tell you, law doesn't fix anything. It doesn't. And again, we should have laws. But laws doesn't change a problem in here. Does it? In fact, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King said this, that you cannot legislate morality. And you can't. Let me go to what the Bible has to say about the law. Look at Romans 3.20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Let's just stop right there. Some of you, you need to memorize this verse because you think, man, if I could just do the Ten Commandments, right? No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. No one. You know what no one means? I looked it up in the Greek. It means no one. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. You can't fix your sin problem by passing more rules and having more laws. Why? Because that's not the purpose of rules and laws. Do you know what the purpose of rules and laws is? I'll show you. Look at this picture right here. If you see this picture, what are you going to do? Exactly right. Right. That's exactly right. In fact, if you see a a, a sign that says, don't touch wet paint, if you go up really close to it, you're going to see fingerprints all over it. Why? Because people, uh, when we see a law, we want to break it. How many of y'all consistently go the speed limit? That's what I thought. We got policemen in here taking names. They're out there looking at your license plates. I'm just saying, none of us do. Let me tell you. This is Romans 5.20. It says this. God's law. You can't see it. Hang on a second. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Why was God's law given? So that you and I could see just how really messed up we are. That's it. See, God gave us the law so that he has a standard. He gave us his law, the standard, so that we could be able to see we don't measure up to that standard. Unfortunately, what a lot of people try to do is go, I'm doing pretty good. Because we don't compare ourselves to God's standard, we compare ourselves to other people's standards. I'm doing better than her. 
I'm doing a whole lot better than him. Dear Lord, did you see what happened to him last week? OMG, right? I mean, we, we compare ourselves to each other, but we are looking at the wrong standard. Now, if these things don't fix us, what does? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Seriously, I'm not. You're going to have to come next week. All right, this is a cliffhanger, right? I'm just saying. You show up next week, and we're going to see what fixes our sin problem. But self-help doesn't. Doing more laws. Religion doesn't. And just trying harder. None of that will fix the problem. But let me close with a story before I start answering questions. In 1960, true story, an Israeli undercover agent orchestrated a daring kidnapping of one of the worst Holocaust masterminds in history. His name is Adolf Eichmann. Here's his picture. After capturing Adolf Eichmann in South America as he was hiding out, they transported him to Israel to stand trial. Their prosecutors called a string of former concentration camp prisoners as witnesses. This, this guy was one of the masterminds that said, you know what, why don't we just kill the Jews? Let's slaughter six million people. It's this guy. So as the prosecutors are coming in and they're calling these uh, concentration camp prisoners as witnesses, one small haggard elderly man named Yehiel Dunur, who had miraculously escaped death at Auschwitz, on his day to testify against Adolf Eichmann, Dunur entered the courtroom and stared at the man responsible, who was behind bulletproof glass, responsible of killing his entire family killing all of his friends, and murdering six million Jews. Another six million on top of that of gypsies and people were handicapped and people, homosexuals and all this. He, he murdered, was over murdering 12 million people. And as Yehiel Dunur is staring into the eyes of the man who killed his family, who killed his friends, murdered everybody that he knew. As the eyes of these two men met, victim and the murderous tyrant, the courtroom fell silent because everyone wanted to know what was going to happen next. But no one was prepared for really what happened next. Because as Yehiel Denur looked into the eyes of this guy, he started sobbing. He started crying. Why is that? Was he overcome by hatred? by horrifying memories, by the evil incarnate in this, the eyes of this monster? And, and, he, and he, he said, no. Mike Wallace, in a 60 Minutes interview, interviewed Yehiel Denur afterwards. And he says, the reason why I broke down and sobbed and cried, it's because Eichmann was not the demonic personification of evil that I had expected. He says, rather... He was just an ordinary man, just like anyone else, just like me. And in that one instant, Denura came to the stunning realization that sin and evil are the human condition. He said this, and I quote, I was afraid about myself, Denura said. I saw that I was capable to do this exactly like he. Denura's remarkable statements caused Mike Wallace to look into the camera 
And he was kind of flabbergasted. He tried, you know, figure out what he was going to say. And then he ended this. He says this. How is it possible for a man to act as Eichmann acted? Was he a monster? Was he a madman? Or was he perhaps something even more terrifying? Was he normal? You see, Yehil Deneur's shocking realization is that we have Eichmann in all of us. We have a problem. I have a problem. And a self-help book won't fix it. Religion will not fix it. Trying harder will not fix it. None of those are fixes to the real problem. Because your problem isn't just what you do, it's who you're related to. It's bigger than that. It's not just a verb. It's a noun. It's who you are. And next week, we're going to figure out how you and I can really, truly change. Because all of us need that. All of us need that. Let me tell you, your family needs you to change. Your spouse needs you to change. Your coworkers really need you to change. And change isn't going to be like you just putting on a Band-Aid and just doing some Neosporin and saying, okay, I'm good. It's going to have to be bigger than that.